Coffee, check. Guests, check. Pointless holiday with my mates at the end of the season in a COVID riddle. Uh, Ireland, yep, check. Got it. Uh, hello, good afternoon, good evening, and good morning. Welcome to French Football Weekly, the podcast. Um, if you're a bit confused as to why I said all of the above, it's because we're recording at a very strange time for us. It's like a, it's like we've met in the, in the park for a picnic, which we might not be able to do for much longer. So we're doing a lunchtime recording uh, on the uh, on the Wednesday, the 9th of September. So welcome in one and all. I am your host, Chris, as usual. And uh, forgive the random intro there. More on that later, APSG fans. Uh, right, I've got Phil and I've got Jez with me as usual. Good afternoon to you both. Hello. Hello. And uh, we have, um, we've got kind of a mixed show today. We've got a bit of France, a bit of Liga, and a bit of transfers. So we're going to kind of mishmash and, and work our way through. So we'll start with Leibler, of course, because uh, it was uh, an international week. Um, we're going to kind of discuss the games first of all, and then broaden it a little bit into some discussion on friendly slash Nations League. I think we've all got a couple of things to bring up about that. Uh, Jez, I'll, I'll start with you. I'm going to kind of combine the two games here. France beat Sweden by goal to nil in what was arguably the lesser of the two games in terms of excitement. It's a one nil victory, um, a late penalty missed by Griezmann and a terrific individual goal from an acute angle from Mbappe, despite a little bit of fortune to get him into that position. And then a 4-2 win over Croatia, which we'll probably come into in a bit more detail. Uh, again, there, Griezmann scoring in that game. Um, Mikano scoring his home debut, Giroud with a penalty. And uh, what's gone down as a, a Liv- Livakovic own goal, which I think is a little bit harsh. Oh, that was so harsh. Yeah, Martial with, with all the all the donkey work. Um, first of all, I'll get both your, th- both your thoughts. Um, Jess, first of all, what, what was your overall summation of the, of the two games as a whole? Um, overall, I think more positive than negative in the sense that, first of all, France are continuing to find a way to win, even when they're not at their best. Um, In the Sweden match, they were solid enough defensively as well. Um, And um, Deschamps had a chance to um, obviously blood a couple of new players, recall a couple of players, um, have another look at uh, several players, um, work a little bit more with a a different system. as usual, France and Deschamps are getting a huge amount of criticism. And as usual, I think it's it's massively overdone. Um, yesterday, I thought the, the Croatia match, I thought that um, the starting lineup was possibly a bit defensive. If you're starting with five defenders, I don't think you need two defensive midfielders as well. Um, and I still, you know, don't know what Sissoko is doing in the team. But... Um, I, I, for me, there's still kind of positives in that, um, as I said, they're still finding, other teams are still finding it hard to, to break them down and they're still able to, to eke out wins. And this idea that um, they're not offensive, I, d- I don't really know what exactly offensive football means. I mean, you know, the Spain 2010 World Cup winners were lauded as this great offensive team, but they were offensive until they scored one goal and then and then closed up shot for 1-0 wins. Mm. France, you know, they scored 11 goals in, in the knockout stages of the World Cup. They scored four goals yesterday. Um, is offensive all-out attack or is it um, picking your moments to, to you know, hit, hit teams on the break and score? Um, so I think people are overdoing the fuss, I think. And, you know, likewise, um, it's different when you're sort of parking the bus. I don't think France do park the bus. So, what you know, just because the team keeps clean sheets, it doesn't mean they're a defensive team. It just means they've got a good defence. So some of the criticism frustrates me. Some of it is is reasonably merited. But bottom line is um, he got to see a lot of players, um, we saw two debuts, one a cracking cameo off the bench, one not so good, but at least for that Super Meccano, by the way, but at least now he's got his first two matches under the belt and I'm sure we'll see more of him. Um, he saw yesterday that maybe some of the reserve players are not up to it. Um, we've seen Conte back to his best. 
we've seen Griezmann doing basically what he did in the last international get-together, which was have a, a not brilliant first match as he adjusts from being treated like shit at Barcelona and then growing into the second match when he remembers that there are people who still love him. Yeah. Um, so overall, not you know, we'll, we'll go into it more later, but I just I think it's absolutely ridiculous to have international matches um, when half the world hasn't even started the season yet anyway. So it's always difficult circumstances, but overall happy. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you summed that up well. If dear listener, if you want an example of offensive football, um using the term literally, Denmark nil England nil is a good place to start. <laughs> um, if, if you wanna watch that, please don't. It was awful. Um Phil Picking up on what Jez said there, I mean, just looking at some of the players that, that performed in these two matches, mentioned Deo Mikano scoring on his, his home debut. Um, he looked sort of, um, I thought he looked okay. You know, he got an early booking in the Sweden game. He looked a bit nervy, which is only to be only to be expected. I thought he sort of grew into it as, as the games went on, the two games went on. Um, the, the point about Griezmann, I think, is, is spot on with what Jez said there. You know, he's getting, he gets love when he plays for France and we'll talk about transfers later on, but my worry about uh, Barcelona potentially bringing in a Leon forward means that he might be shunted off to another position once again this season, which is not ideal in the year of Euros if that happens. But but overall, a good positive experience for Deschamps. We got to see a bit more Dubois. We got a Camavinga debut last night. I thought the point on Kante was, was really well made one as well, given the fact that he's come in and, and Giroud just keeps scoring goals whenever he comes on as well. So overall performance-wise from the squad, pretty happy with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Sweden game—it was—it was dull. I—I—I kind of lost interest pretty quickly, but that's kind of normal. I think you—you you talked about, you know, England, Denmark. Uh, there's loads of people calling for Southgate's head after two unfortunate, unfortunately dull games for England. But I think the thing about the Nations League is that COVID has actually changed its role. Because the Euros didn't happen this year and they're going to happen next year, it is now the run-in to the Euros. And that means that we've got very, very low-risk games in the run-up to the Euros. It's not the qualifiers because they're done and dusted. It's kind of, people say, meaningless friendlies. These are meaningless non-friendlies. So you've got the opportunity to try something new. And this kind of weird 5-2-1-2 thing that Deschamps has um, has uh, landed on. I don't think it's uh, bedded it brilliantly yet, particularly last night the um, uh, in the Croatia game. The defending was um, limited and, and very not specific in some cases. Um, but that's fine because there's, there's basically no risk here. So yes, try some new people. It was great to see Kamavinga for, for 30 minutes getting on and doing some bossing at only 17. And so I think it was very interesting to see, uh, particularly last night, because it was a more chaotic game and much more interesting for the neutral, you know, half a dozen goals and a bunch of other stuff. So while the first game is underwhelming, the second game wasn't, um, might, might give people, uh, France fans sort of issues with blood pressure, but, um, what we saw was very interesting and very promising. And I think Deschamps is using this competition correctly. Um, what we saw in the first game was, I'd agree Kante was, uh, the best player. What we saw last night was Griezmann and Martial really linking up beautifully. There were several times when the timing of the passing between the two of them was um, really, really cool. Uh, around about the half hour mark, um, they had a great break and then the two of them uh, linked up together. It didn't quite come off. It was more good timing by Martial for Griezmann's goal. Obviously, Martial's uh, I'm going to call it Martial's goal, uh, just before halftime, came from uh, Ben Yedda putting a, a cross in. And you could see him stretching for it. He went past two defenders at full stretch and then hit him. And so there was lots of uh, really promising stuff. And I felt that the attack looked much more convincing than the defence, although it would have been hard to 
are to look less convincing than the defence at some points when they were caught on the break by uh, Brekolo when he broke the line for the uh, goal just after um, half-time. So the defence, this new defensive situation needs work, clearly. And the fact that there were um, only four starters the same in both matches and one of those was Upper Magano. So in the first game, he's playing with uh, really experienced uh, internationals, Kimpembe and Varane, well, Kimpembe less so, but, you know, Varane. And then it was Hernande Longley and Upper Magano in the back three. And the second game is a little bit more stapled together, if you see what I mean. So I hope, but I hope they stick with it because practice makes better and I think that's something that will give them a lot of um, a lot of options a lot of flexibility when it does come to the meaningful matches um, so I hope that Deschamps isn't bullied out of uh, keeping to this new slightly um, slightly different approach and knowing him he's not going to be bullied into anything he's quite a stubborn man so yeah, I think it was, over the two games, great. And I also felt, particularly last night, very pleased that I was watching France rather than England. Yeah, yeah, definitely an entertaining game. I've got I, do, three... I, say, I do like the 5-3-2, but mm. I think in that formation, <clears throat> or 3-3-2, or 3-2-1-2, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, it's more of a 5-2-1-2, that... and that's the problem, I think, because like you say, you don't need five defenders and two defensive midfielders. Um, well, exactly. I mean, the, in that formation, however it is, I think the the most important role is the wing back. Yeah. And I think possibly what we've learned is that um, certainly last night, Sissoko, I don't think, has got the engine, but I don't no. think he's up to I, it. I forgot. Mendy, I was surprised he wasn't a little bit more offensive. And in the first match, as much as I really like him, and I... It, I'm not sure Dubois is up to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the formation is great as long as you've got your, your Pavars and your Hernandez's disease. But um, yeah. Pavar's obviously, unfortunately, injured. Hernandez, um, we saw him yesterday as a centre-back, but we know he can do it as a, as a full-back and his brother's probably quite a good contender now as well. I think... If this formation is going to stick, Deshaun needs to be absolutely sure who the wingbacks are going to be yeah. and sort of drill them to be effective in that formation. Yeah, I think what we saw, um, I was just looking at the stats, as is one my want, and uh, between the posts had Dubois making the most passes in that first game and Dean making the most progressive moves for France. And so I thought that was very interesting. What we've been talking about recently a lot is maybe this move to three at the back is because France has so many great young centre-backs, uh, which is certainly true. But the thing everybody keeps talking about is we need a right-back. Please, we need a right-back. And Sissoko is not a right-back. He's not a right-wing-back. Dubois, possibly, but he wouldn't be a first choice, I think, in an ideal world. So kind of, um, who, kind of is, who is there that can go, that's the, the kind of the weak spot? Kind of a reverse Scotland problem in that they have two world-class left-backs, but not a right-back, whereas France probably have a couple of serviceable right-backs, but maybe not world-class. Well, I, th I think Pava is world-class. It's just that there's no... Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, I do, yeah. I, I always forget when players are, um, are not available, so yeah, that, that's a fair point. That, that was a one of three questions I had lined up, which will expand the debate slightly. I'll, I'll give this one to you, Jess, first of all. Um, do you think that France's talent pool is, or potentially could be, not the undoing, that's the wrong word, but they are looked at, and rightfully so, as the world champions, as the favourites for the Euros, which I'll come on to in a minute, Phil, but is, is there a, a bit of a concern that Deschamps now has so many ridiculously talented players to choose from, that they're it could arguably be almost too many for each each position, and therefore that leads to more changing formation, more dabbling, more trialing and stuff. And then ultimately, when you get to Euros, you, you, you're kind of so reliant on certain players that if they're not in form or if they're not available, you're then bringing on equally talented players, but maybe they aren't so settled. Do, do you kind of see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I do. I think it's more a problem for 
Deschamps than anyone else in the sense that obviously it's a problem because he has to make the selections, but it's a problem in the sense that um, certainly in the attacking positions, that's the stick that's been used to beat him with for years. But France have got so many great attacking players that they should be playing more attacking football. The fact is, you can only play a certain number of them at any one time. And when he has tried... All things will go really, really badly wrong. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. When he has tried to play them, they haven't necessarily played well. And what pisses me off is there are very, very few teams, I think, internationally and even on the league basis, ever that have won playing beautiful football, but particularly on an international basis where you can't sort of drill it week in, week out and develop those mm. understandings across a whole year. So, you know, the okay, they're very fondly remembered, France 82, Brazil 82, Holland 74. But I bet if you ask any of those players, they'd rather have a World Cup winner's medal. For yeah. You're a 96 England. It's like critical acclaim or a gold disc. Isn't it? I think what, and that was what um, I really liked last night was that Griezmann and Marshall seemed to have that really, seemed to have the timing down, like Mm -hmm. they'd been working together for ages. And that was a very uh, sort of reassuring um, look, as far as I was concerned, because they they, they were uh, communicating well. Arguably, one of the reasons that. France sort of ran out relatively comfortably at the end was because Giroud again. Yeah, exactly. When he came on. But in, in general, I think it's a problem for a lot of players because there's going to be a hell of a lot of players who, in for almost any other country, certainly, for example, as you said, centre-back is a good example, would probably be regular internationals and here are going to miss out. But I don't, I think... You know, we've seen from Deschamps, he, he looks at people, he does give them a chance, whatever people say, and then he works out who he thinks is best, you know, on balance, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Mm. And as far as possible, he'll stick with that nucleus of players. Look at the number of players he's given a chance to and the turnover. Like, for example, I think there were only nine players from the Euro 2016 squad that were in the World Cup 2018 squad. So... You know, he he is prepared to change things up and he is prepared to give people chances. But certainly he'll have he'll have his idea of of, of his starting lineup. Yeah. And I, so I I don't think it will affect France in a bad way. I think it will affect Deschamps' reputation in that whatever he does, people will either say, Well, what do you expect with that huge sort of depth <laughs> quality? Or they'll say, Well, whatever you've done, you should have done it better. Yeah, I think yeah. um, you know, I, I with that um, for Jez, but I just am wondering what Sissoko has on Deschamps uh, to be kind of the one constant when he's, you know, that's a space that could be filled by somebody else. But who else? It's it's an interesting thing. I think um, we we shouldn't make it sound like this game all went France's way because it certainly didn't. Um, no. Obviously, uh, Lovren's goal. Um, like a quarter of an hour in, was absolutely glorious. It was proper centre-forward, drag-back, beautiful, looping shot around Hugo. It's actually very, very similar to Perisic's goal in the World Cup final. Yeah, it's, it's uncanny how many similarities was, there were. He was really getting much. quite spooky. And he and is the self-proclaimed best defender in Europe. Well, well he, he had a world. really yeah. busy evening because he then, uh, I think he Hilarious, almost yeah. immediately afterwards blocked Nzonzi's header from a free kick. And then later on, when the penalty was given, it wasn't actually him who handballed, but mm. he got booked for basically running up to the referee, out the ref. looking at like he was going to rip his head off. So, yeah, he was busy, but it was, um, the first half was not great. And I was watching, obviously, on TFR, and it was Bichente Lizarazu, who was on the COCOMs. And the Griezmann girl goes in, again, with uh, more good timing from, from Martial. And then there was the Martial goal, which has been given to the goalkeeper for reasons I don't fully understand. And Lizarazu... Because Martial shot... Was off target. Going wide, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still think it's unfair. Anyway, so and Liz Rizzo basically was laughing at, after that, and he basically said, five minutes ago we were saying these guys were shit, and now everybody's got to rewrite their half-time 
analysis. And that was kind of true. The first half hour or so was not, it didn't look at all cohesive. But then after the break, and they've got, you know, Croatia uh, equalised. And then you're thinking, oh God, is it all going to fall apart? And then Olive comes on, but also the Camavinga. And I think the two of them at the same time, help change things in very different ways. Obviously, Olive is does Olive. Um, he was dropping back a lot in the first game and Griezmann was actually ahead of him in the positioning kind of maps. But he, you know, you always know where he's going to be. He's not going to move far and he's very good at what he does. So that is really a very, very solid and reassuring presence to have. And then Kamavinga, you've checked on a 17-year-old. He's basically played one season and gone, hmm, deal with this, chaps. And he was great. I thought after the upper Meccano goal, which was a great header, down into the ground, down into the ground, and that's how it got past the keeper. Uh, Kamavinga had a, a shot from long range. He's like, he had a look around and thought, yeah, and just went for it. And then later on, after the penalty, he had another situation where he could have done that, but did pass. And I thought that showed the best of him. You know, he is prepared to take a risk. He is prepared to take a shot. He did drag backs and left numerous uh, midfielders on their asses. But he does also have that smarts to pass to the right person, um, sending in cross to Martial, which didn't come off in that case. So... I really loved seeing him. But towards the end, there was a degree of, I think France had kind of switched off for the last five minutes or so. And one of their forwards was running down everything. And the French defenders had their back to him, like they weren't noticing that he was bearing down on them as they were making lame passes to each other. I felt like shouting, he's behind you at the television. And then they hit the post. So it wasn't 4-2, it was a chaotic game. It was possibly, I think as Jez tweeted out, uh, a little bit harsh on Croatia, particularly that handball for the penalty, whatever. But it it wasn't all France's way, and that's something I think they're aware of. And so that's something good to just everybody keep their heads as they go into the next round, whenever the hell that is. Yeah, I think yeah. it was, as we said, yesterday was mainly a reserve team um, with, a, with a novice in defence, for example. Um, so you're going to have, you're going to have issues there, I think. And also, I just, it's, it's like when people say, oh, that team didn't deserve to win because if it wasn't for their keeper they'd have conceded lots. Well, the keeper is one of their he's 11 got, he's, players. He's, and he he's did part of job. the team. Yeah, he's so got a shirt of, on and everything, you know. Exactly. So, you know, I, I agreed. They were really poor for the first 35, 40 minutes of the first half. But then they found a way to win. Yeah. And whether it's by being the better team or grinding out, um, the goals and you know also well they're then they never play as a team it's always a load of individuals you know apart from Bollocks. those two really good goals that were really good team moves so, and many other good team moves where you've got that timing and that understanding between the front players between with Camavinga particularly when he came on um you know it's they do do that you know give them a break but the one that slightly worries me, and I don't want to sort of labour on this point too long because I've, I've got another question I wanted to ask around friendlies and whatnot, but um, Martial is one that I I don't know whether this is because of my slight club bias, who'd have thought, but I just feel like, do you remember, and, and I don't want to set Jez off here mentioning the name of Nelka, but do you, oh remember when, do you remember when sort of he first broke through in football and he used to do this sort of thing where he'd scored and he'd never look happy about anything ever? And I feel like Martial is that, I, I don't know whether it's because he's kind of, he's not the Mbappe that everyone thought he would, would be. I, I just look at him when he plays and I, I, I think to myself, like he's, there's so much there, but I felt the same at Monaco. I definitely feel the same at Manchester United, where albeit he's being managed by a fraud, is that he just doesn't, he, he, he's sort of, something's missing. Do you know what I mean? It's just I... something not quite there. He missed a lot of chances as well as got his goal. His movement is, good at times and other times he goes missing I, I don't know 
I just feel like he's got a lot to do to cement a place in, in a Euro squad for me. I still feel like can, there's, there's a lot to do there. Can I just butt in with a slight... Liz Arizou actually said very much the same thing because we were talking about Camafinger coming on and how young he was. Martial we're, we're was tight in the... Bizarre, by the way. Uh, Martial made his debut for France 18, I think. Mm. I think he was under a lot of pressure and everything you hear about him is that he's quite a quiet chap and he's not a big, you know showy personality and uh Liz Razou was not complimentary about a certain Manchester United manager of the time um either so that he feels like he's been through a very tricky uh situation going into the France team but now he seems more um positive he seems more confident he seems more yeah confident um in his own kind of uh right to be there as it was and i think you you do see some smiles but he's not a big you know a big emotional guy maybe so i think um it's taken him a while uh to get over being that you know young star which Mm. you know mbappe took with grabbed with both hands and ran with and we're hoping that camfinger does the same um so i think it's just maybe personality differences as well as club situation obviously has, has made a difference there yeah yeah it's, it's, it is a it's just just a personal thing i, I don't know mm. maybe it's just me um phil i want to ask you as well and i'll kind of bleed one answer into the other um so you first and then just to follow up uh, talk to me about the nations league um and, and friendlies in general i, I think they yeah. have a place I certainly yeah. don't think the place and time is now when we're just about to start a season or in Ligue case a week in. But I don't know. I, I, there's something about it. And I take your point 100% about the, the the situation in the world is changing it. You know, if you had a full crowd in last night, for example, it would have been rocking and, mm. you know, we might have felt differently. But I just feel that no matter what happens, a World Cup and Euros will always be fantastic. And, and that, you know, that will always be what you're going to tune in for. That's what you're going to enjoy. Yeah. Nations League are just uh, something that I, I just think, can't get on board, you know? Well, I think, um, like you say, friendlies have their places. And I think of these as being more organised friendlies. By more organised, I mean there are leagues and groups that are kind of seeded. So, for example, the England fans bitching about, you know, we only beat Iceland 1-0 and we drew with Denmark. You're seeded, so you're in a group with teams of similar ability which means that's perfectly normal. You know, you might think you're better than Iceland or Denmark, but maybe you aren't. And I think that was what we've seen, you know, the group that France are in, we've got Croatia, who were in the last World Cup final. We've got Portugal, who are in the last Euro final. You know, they are teams of likeability and likeability rather than likeability in some cases. Um, But... What it's, I think, really useful for is the teams further down the leagues where you've got Azerbaijan playing Armenia or whoever. Um, I can't remember who Azerbaijan played yesterday. Um, which, which Which is more useful for them to actually be playing teams of like abilities and getting hammered eight nil and just being depressed. So I think it does being more organized does help several different kinds of countries in several different ways and the way it helps the top ranking ones who are going to qualify for the top tournaments anyway is it gives them a chance to experiment and that's what we've seen and so i think it it is more interesting than should we say random friendlies because it does ensure a certain level of opponent which is more useful for you you know we see it in women's football all all the time there is no point in playing certain teams because it's just it's just a walkover um and a walkover is not useful apart from maybe getting somebody's goal tally up and um sending out some youngsters um playing a team of a, a commensurate level is much more useful and I think particularly now the timing has changed so this is the run-up to the Euros is going to make that even more useful conversely of course I don't see it as a tournament 
if you see what I mean. Yeah, I don't either. Who yeah. won the last one? I cannot, uh, I cannot remember. Portugal? And, oh, yeah, of course it was Holland, yeah, in the final, yeah. yeah. Really? You yeah. see? The fact you even have to think about it. Is, exactly, that's yeah. my point. So I see these as a series of meaningful friendlies, more organised friendlies, rather than necessarily a, a starry tournament that you want to win. Yeah, I think half agree and half don't. Um, I, def- I, def- <laughs> I definitely agree for the for the lower ranked teams. I think there's merit in it and a sort of path for them to um, kind of move up the rankings or gain a better a better reputation. Um, certainly, with the way the way it did f- originally f- feed into the qualifiers, although it was much too complicated for me to understand how it worked I in terms of the the stronger teams I guess in a way it's a little bit like the uh, community shield where Mm. there's a trophy at the end of the world cup yeah hey the charity shield is massive Jess you know that (laughs) well well, this is exactly the thing if you win it it's massive or it's another trophy but I know you mean the champion then let's say yeah. Um, if you win it, it's another trophy, and if you don't, it's a glorified friendly. And I suppose it kind of maybe depends on sort of almost like a convention, like how do all the top international teams see it? Do they see it as something worth winning or not? But I just think it gives them an extra quandary, maybe as um, another excuse to put more pressure on a manager that the media don't like, something like that. And so maybe it doesn't give coaches complete freedom to experiment and try new players and new formations as much as they might like to and while I do agree that you're playing um, teams of a similar level um, first of all you're only playing three of them twice and secondly so that sort of limits it and secondly presumably when federations are arranging their, their friendly matches they if they wanted to only play teams at their level, I assume that they could somehow arrange that anyway. So I don't, I don't know if that bit, that element to it has any merit. I, in general, I don't like the Nations League. I don't think it's necessary. And I know every, lots of it's quite fashionable to slag off friendlies and you've got players like Ryan Giggs who always seem to be, happen to be injured for friendlies. And people say, oh, they're, you know, it's completely ridiculous once you've made your eight substitutions that you know the, the game goes to pot there's all elements of truth to that but the fact is it is a chance for international teams and international coaches to try completely different things out with no pressure and nations league maybe we need sort of two or three more editions of it to really get an idea of how seriously or not it's it's considered but i just think if it's if it's not being considered seriously, then what's the point in it? And if it is, then it takes away that whole friendly element and the the ability to, um, or the freedom to experiment. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure it works overall. I, yeah, I'm not sure I'm so keen. You can't, you can't really win because international managers, squads staff need meetups you know they need to play games and just training together isn't sufficient because they need to prepare for the big tournaments but at the same time um when those games are played there's often you know a lack of pace uh, you know players okay of course they're always playing for their spots i get that but it's just kind of a lack of something missing i wonder if maybe we could get like uh the 2020 equivalent in cricket in football like maybe we could put like neon lights in the goalposts and have like run up penalties and cheerleaders running on every 35 minutes or something. I, I'm joking of course but it just feels like something needs to be jazzed up a little bit I don't know I mean, again it, it's it's such a hard one to, to judge and um, I think like you said that both of you said nobody's really going to remember who wins the Nations League in 10 years I don't think at all and fair if play, England had won last year's... We... Oh, God. Well, it would have been Liverpool all over again, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah we would never have hit. And, and when they do inevitably win it, because they probably will one day, because they're the only team that takes it seriously, then, yeah, we probably will... That, that will be broadcast um, as a national holiday and the world will stop, basically. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a good discussion point there. Um, in terms of, obviously, the, the Nations League... Um, 
sort of uh, in terms of the France, two two wins, two uh, two successful performances overall. That's all you can ask, really. Um, and we move on. I think the next international break is I think it's November or is it October? There's another one fairly right. soon. October. There's another six matches before the end of the year. Six. Jeez, yeah. I thought it was three. Crikey. Okay. Well, we'll be back across Slibler then, then, in that case. Um, the only good thing about the Nations League at the moment is, is in the UK, you're able to watch pretty much every game. So I had the joys of uh, Faroe Islands against Gibraltar. No, San Marino against Gibraltar. Uh, and my beloved Malta against Latvia. Um, and they were probably the two best games I watched, excluding France-Croatia the whole weekend. And I watched six others. So what does that say? I don't know. At least it means something to the lower teams, I guess. But hey, also, home. France's kit looked fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, the white one's really grown on me, actually, but the, the home one is, is delightful. Somebody described it to me as budget. I thought it was really nice, personally, but hey-ho. Um, right, um, moving things back to matters domestic, uh, we we aren't going to sort of touch too much detail on, on Liga, other than I'll read the fixtures out for the weekend's games in a second. But before we do, there is a game being played tonight, uh, tonight tomorrow night, sorry. Um, which is PSG's first game of the season back. Um, yes, fair to say all has not gone smoothly in the build-up to this one. Um, your thoughts on, on PSG's players going for a little sojourn? Some people are saying to me, and I, I put this on social media, and, and some people are saying to me, well, you know, they've got every right to go on holiday, they've had a long, hard season, they got deep in the Champions League, yada, yada, yada. My argument to that is maybe choose somewhere less... Covid-y than at a party island. Maybe choose less, sort of go somewhere where all of your teammates aren't going to go. So if one person does get it, you're all buggered. Just my thoughts. I think they're professionals. And, and if it was my career, I would be choosing a nice, quiet island in Sussex. Um, or, you know, somewhere sensible, shall we say, rather than jetting off to Ibiza and, and whatnot. So what, what's your overall thoughts? And for those who don't know, feel free to summarise on what's gone down in the last week. Yeah, basically, um, I think it's Navas, Paredes, Di Maria, Neymar, Mbappe, and Icardi have all tested positive for COVID-19. Um, <clears throat> obviously, PSG have got a bit of a backlog because they postponed that last fixture, which I think now looks, looks silly. Even, even more <laughs> silly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they've got last tomorrow... And Marseille on Sunday, I think, um, with a lot of players missing. I mean, to the extent that they're going to probably be giving, it will be either Bulka or Innocent in goal. And up front may well be Kalimwendo or possibly Chupo Motting, who they've re-signed, I think. So, um, you know, it's certainly not ideal conditions obviously it also means there's fewer players to rotate for two matches in three days Marseille fans are going to be loving this of course they already are they already are unfortunately it looks like everyone's going to be back and fresh for the mess match which I'm <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah I, it's, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs of their holiday apparently a lot of Bayern players went to Ibiza as well um, but Either, which I think is probably a possibility, Bayern are better at keeping quiet about what's actually been going on there, or maybe all the steroids that Goretzka, etc., are on also work as a... Oh, God. I don't know what you mean, Jess. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it's... Again, I can see both sides. They're entitled to a holiday. It's actually, I think, quite positive that they're in a way, going together, that they're all friendly and, and, you know, considering that's the stick that we've used to beat PSG up with so so often that they don't look like a team, they don't look like they care about each other or play for each other. So it's kind of nice that they are going on holiday together, but possibly other places or other ways of arranging it might have been more sensible. Um, You know, it's, it's COVID, there's, there's, an element of bad luck as well as to whether you catch it in the first place and then when you do like who, who you transmit it to of course and but, how um, bad it is for yeah. you sure so I, you know it i'm not sure that any of them are in a particularly bad way but obviously when you're playing in a team sport then there's there's huge sort of ramifications even if one person gets it so 
um, considering the, the very quick turnover, they are entitled to holiday, particularly after the great Champions League run. But considering the season starting so quickly afterwards, um, maybe they would have been advised going on a different kind of holiday. But it's hard to begrudge them the fact that the holiday that they they took I and earned. in the Lake District. Something I, I, I would pay good money to see Neymar trotting down Blackpool Beach on a donkey, or in you know, <laughs> Mbappe in Skegness in a tent. I mean, if if that isn't the title of a podcast, then I don't know what is. Because that just if anybody listening to this is good at Photoshop, please, I will pay you honestly. Just just do a Photoshop of that for me. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I, I'm not saying. You know, they should be at home with their families. I'm, I'm not being all schoolmaster here, but I just feel that, and, and you make a really good point there, that it, that stick of beating them, that not being close as a group, that 100% I agree with that. I just feel that it's a bit like the Harry Maguire situation. You know, you put yourself in a position where you're going to get uh, potentially exposed to certain things, people, situations. You, you kind of can't then be uh, all in. But Harry Maguire is different because he's um, a criminal. Butch- centre-back English hero. Of course. Yeah, yeah. It's like Phil Foden as opposed to Robin Sterling having a kid when he was 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it should be stressed as well that PSG are far from happy with Kylian Mbappe. I don't suspect it will mean a free transfer to Crew as a result, but... um, yeah, he he apparently didn't or wasn't in, didn't inform them. I don't no, it wasn't him. His... They weren't they weren't happy with oh, with, with the French national finding out about it through the media rather right. than the, through the FFF. Right, because right. not the player gave... they were angry at then in that case. No, but Deschamps yeah. gave a pretty angry answer to that, explaining why that was the case, which was basically um, sort of testing procedures mixed up with a journalist from France football sharing a story you shouldn't have shared yet. Ah, right. Okay. One of those. Yeah. So it probably shouldn't have come out. Yeah. 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 Well, it is, you know, it is medical information. So mm. it is something where the player does have to sign off on this being publicized. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fair point. Fair <sighs> point. Um, just quickly before we look ahead at the weekend's action, um, one thing I did completely forget to mention, um, we'll keep it brief, Phil, but the under-21s while yeah. on international duty? Um, and they, it's, it's, I think it's game six of Euro qualifying for the under-21s. I've worked out who Azerbaijan played yesterday. It wasn't Armenia. They're in the same league with different groups. Azerbaijan beat Cyprus. Was and Mini Azerbaijan uh, were playing France, uh, Mini France this week, and France won two one. Um, the one was uh, a kind of um, consolation goal at the end, kind of embarrassing uh, for Lafont. Uh, goals from Otson Edouard penalty after Ganduzi was fouled uh, in the first half, and then a lovely chip from Amin Gori in the second half it wasn't massively convincing but it was um, a good solid win Azerbaijan did um, you know put a good showing in there were some nice moves that um, France uh, what we've seen before is that if you're uh, attacked, then they broke immediately afterwards it was a nice move just after the goal where Kotsu had a, an attack and then when that was blocked immediately they were up the other end and Eduardo go himself so they're second in the group behind Switzerland because they lost to Switzerland last November 3-1 and the final match in the group is against Switzerland so basically it looks like they're gonna have to beat Switzerland in that last one and hope goal difference is in their favor so we could be set for another hilariously unsuccessful attempt to get to the under 21 euros as Jess will be well aware of we've seen many times in the past but it was kind of a pretty I think, entertaining I, I game. Think- the five best second places qualify or something like that. Yes, the five yeah. best runners up, but you just know that somehow they will manage to mess that up if they are a runner up. You know, it'll come down to goals scored or fair play or something like that. So we've seen this multiple times before. But the interesting thing was um, uh, loads of familiar names on there. Who was running the show? It was a certain Matteo Ginduzi. From Ballandor. Playing that on the end. kind of central 
right-ish midfield and and yeah bossing, well. bossing things around so mm. um that was kind of interesting um i'm not sure when their next match is i think it's uh everything gets wrapped up by november so this should be uh there should be a couple of interesting ones over the next couple of months yeah one to keep an eye on uh Ganduzi tagging um arsenal in his um let's get back to work post game tweet which is interesting uh, i see leon have come out he is and said not that he's... doing himself any favors is he? i mean i mean it's the first time he's mentioned arsenal for three months i mean it's a start but um yeah i think Janinho coming out the sporting director of leon and saying that he's not the sort of player profile that fits leon was quite damning i think it's more the other way around uh, that gunduzi's not interested in, in playing for leon but um yeah that i think yeah, there's there's a lot of revisionism going on amongst um, particularly Arsenal fans going, well, I want any good in the first place, which is utter nonsense. Um, it's just that our fans don't have brain cells when it comes to players that no longer are in the team. Um, I still think he's a hugely talented player, but just needs to screw his head on a bit and give it a wobble, shall we say. And um, hopefully, if that's under Arteta or elsewhere, um, his talent will shine through, as indeed you mentioned Damien Gouri is currently. So... Um, yeah, one to watch. Um, just going to quickly rattle through the fixtures uh, for the weekend's action. We've got Bordeaux against Lyon. Obviously, this is post Lance PSG, which I'm recording is tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, we've got Bordeaux Lyon, which um, has a watchable quality to it, I suspect, on Friday. Uh, Montpellier Nice is on Saturday, the four o'clock game. St. Etienne Strasbourg is the evening game. Uh, Lille Metz, good luck, Jez, on Sunday at 12 pm. Auger-Rafs is the two o'clock game alongside Dijon-Brest and uh, the world's greatest team, Lorient, against Lens. In and Nîmes. Kind of a bit of a derby. And, and of course, yes, Nîmes-Ren. I missed that one. That's also a two o'clock game. So it's four Crocodiles at two Crocodiles versus Reindeer. Now, there's a derby if ever I had one. Uh, you've got Monaco-Nantes is the 4pm game, which might be worth a watch as well. And then, of course, Le Classique um, of sorts, PSG's um, Select 11 and the Tea Lady face Marseille at, uh, at home on the 8 o'clock game. Again, Marseille on television on a Sunday night. No, I don't believe it. That joke will never get old, by the way. Um, so that's the weekend's action. Um, we are going to need to wrap up fairly soon because uh, recording during the day, uh, we've all got things we need to get on with. But I did just want to very briefly... Jobs, for example. Jobs, for example, yeah. <laughs> did just very briefly want to run down it at just a couple of transfer tittle-tattle. We might go into it in more depth in terms of uh, what players have gone where maybe next week or when we get a quiet week um, because the, the window is still open. But a little bit of talk around uh, Memphis Depay potentially going to Barcelona this week. Um, you've you had a brief bit on that, Jess, didn't you, about this? You had a bit of interaction with a journalist about this one? I just um, only that Juninho was asked about it and he said that before Depay went off to, to join up with the Netherlands, he asked if Barcelona had been in contact with him and he replied no. Um, but Di Marzio today has said that um, they have been in touch and not only that, but Lyon and Barcelona have been in touch. So right. I think it's just the usual sort of kidology. Um, he said, she said kind of thing. There's, there's obviously definitely something there. Um, yeah. And... I think Lyon are up for the move because they they want they would like to extend Depay's contract. Depay, who hilariously last week said that he's never said he wanted to leave Lyon, um, <laughs> doesn't want an extension. Lyon are prepared to sort of have him this year and let the contract run down and then he go for free next year. So obviously if they can get a decent amount of money for him this summer, they will let him go. Um, they've pretty much said that out of the three players most likely to leave, so Depay, Awar and, and Dembele, they're unlikely to sell all three. So at the moment, the trend seems to be that Dembele is the most likely to stay. Um, and, that, and I wonder if that's because there haven't been many concrete offers for him. Because yeah, read my mind. I, I find him quite an intriguing player because his pure goal-scoring record is, for Lyon is pretty good. But he often seems to really not play well. <laughs> mm, yeah, I know. I thought the same. He flatters to deceive at times, doesn't he? It's a weird one, that one. Um, yeah. And I wonder if his contract is probably the least of the three in terms of wages, hence why they're probably able to keep hold of him, I would suspect. I may be wrong on that one. Um, 
but yeah, it's an interesting one. No updates on on Husamawa uh, to date. I gather. Um, I think Arsenal are apparently preparing a fresh bid, but nothing concrete on that one at this stage. Um, we'll, we'll see where that one goes. The, the other one I wanted to ask um, quickly, Phil, goalkeeper Edouard Mendy is um, I... an interesting one because Le- Le- uh, Ren, sorry, have signed Carnesis, haven't they? So it, it strikes me that they're already things for him. Yes. I don't follow the transfer market. It's broken my heart too many times in the past. I wait until it closes and then I pick up the pieces afterwards. Right. I'll know I that have then. no idea about this. I, I do actually have one thing on the Depay issue, though, because Mohammed yep. Butt of Squawker uh, got onto me earlier because he'd heard some quotes from Telefoot about uh, Garcia saying, I'll drive him to Barcelona myself. And he, he sent me the bit from the Telefoot show. Um, and in fact, it's it been massively taken out of context. It's basically Garcia is st- stonewalling, straight batting everything, stays well on message, denies any knowledge of any offers for anyone, wants our own Depay both to stay. If our, he's asked if he'd prefer if they went abroad or to PSG, says he hopes they'll both stay. The one thing was that after a discussion about the Holland game, he's asked about the Dubai situation, but he says, as for many of my big players, so he's talking very generally and very supportively, if they have an opportunity to play for a team built to win a Champions League, then yes, I drive them myself. He's saying he's not going to stand in the way of their progression rather than I can't stand the lad, I'll drop him off at the bus stop. So I think... Those quotes have been taken really, really out of context. The way he said it was not at all like that, as we'd expect from Garcia, who is quite a diplomatic man until he's hit in the face with a bottle. I hadn't, I hadn't actually seen it taken out of context anywhere. Oh, well, I think it's been, it may not have been taken out of context in uh, articles, but the way it was then circulating on Twitter may have. Um, I was I was asked from a position that people are saying, "Oh yeah, I'll drive him there myself," and that is clearly not what he was saying. So anyway, that's no, that's it's, basically it's, my entire transfer news. Because as I say, I do not watch; it is just cruelty. Yeah, I well, think Ren are the interesting ones to watch this. Yeah, I agree. This yeah. month, I mean, there's been they've been sort of linked with players in and out all will transfer window and actually very little has happened yet but yeah the possibility of Mendy leaving the possible who by the way I think he's a fantastic he's a great goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. yeah, yeah. really good a big fan, Chelsea and obviously the, the Christophe Lollichon link yeah, is yeah, yeah. sort of doing its, doing its work there but yeah. um, also just you know rumours that it could be Ariola coming in and um, yeah. and then also that Ren have been linked with um, Boga coming back yeah. And with um, uh, Diego Godin, which is a really interesting one, mm-hmm. especially because they were trying to get um, Tamori, who's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, very talented young player, and that didn't work. So now they're going for a very talented old player, um, <laughs> although salary might be an issue. And then yet again, it, a couple of their young players could be leaving. So not Camavinga, he'll stay for another year and then go for a fortune next year, probably. But um, Giorgino Rutter, who has had barely any first-team chances, but is kind of one of those players who's been on the all the international youth team radars for years. Um, apparently half the Bundesliga are after him, <laughs> yeah. including the top three, um, as well as Arsenal and Newcastle and Milan. So he could be in yet another young French talent leaving before he's even sort of set foot on a first team pitch for in France. Yeah. I need to correct myself, by the way. Sorry, Connors is um, signing for Lille. My apologies. Um, and my point I was going to make about that was in terms of goalkeepers, um, Mike Manuel has been linked with moves elsewhere. And that was my kind of thought. Although Connors is 35, I wonder if there's a little bit of sniffing around going with, with Manuel, who's been linked with moves away. Mm. Seems like there's a transfer window of goalkeepers. You've got Ruffier still uh, kicking How his heels at Sebastian. How long does it go on? How long October do I have to the... stick my fingers in my ears? Yeah, October 4th, isn't it? I think another month. <sighs> and and, I, and I, I get it. I do get it because of COVID. I totally get it. But yeah, 
I hate, I, I really hate this idea that players can move players or teams can move players around during a season that's yeah. going on. I just, it just doesn't feel like you can really commit to anything until you know exactly who's playing for whom. And at the moment, there's so much going on. I saw Raphael left Leon yesterday. There's just so many, and, and, and a team Cate's. as well. And Marcel. And Marcel, yeah, gone to Wolves. It just, it just sort of feels like you, you know, you're making all these plans. Leon, in particular, if if they Hang were on, to Marcel's lose, Marcel's gone where? Marcel Marcel's gone to, gone to Wolves. Tete's going to Fulham, and Raphael's gone to Turkey. Uh, yeah, not Trussell's, was it? Uh, was, yeah, one of the oh, Turkish sides. Yeah, now. Um, yeah I, I just I sort of hate the idea that, particularly if you look at Leon, if they lose to Pi. And Awar and Dembele, not likely to lose all three, but if they do, and as you've mentioned, they're just three they've lost this week, your whole squad has just been sort of ripped in half. And if anyone's well suited to going again, it's probably Leon with their young players. But if you look at teams I'll lower down the league... Stick a moustache on some of the uh, Champions League winners. Yeah, and hope for the best. But um, yeah, you look down the leagues and you, uh, and you look at some of the, the lesser teams who could be pillaged and... You know, it, it leaves them in a really difficult situation to get players across. And also, everyone's playing poker at the moment, sitting there waiting for, you know, particularly like with Awar, for example, you, you feel like that one will go late into the window because teams that are interested are not going to be willing to, to pay all last prices. They're, they're going to wait around and think it over before coming in late and then forcing the issue. So I just, I'm just not a fan. Um, and I saw PSG have been linked with uh, Jeffrey Kondogbia overnight as well. That's an interesting one to... <laughs> keep an eye on um valencia are having a fire sale of literally everything including their their fixtures and furnishings um so i think it, somebody will get him quite cheap so uh yeah interesting but as i say we'll, we'll probably run through the um the transfers in a bit more depth um over the coming weeks if there's any big moves we'll let you know and then when when the actual window closes we'll probably run through everything and tell you who's gone where and who's gone not where um, and I'm very much looking forward to Nagatomo at Marseille. That's going to be a good good time, by the way. I noticed that one this week. Um, so, yes, there we go. Uh, just before we wrap and up... Steve Mounier has just joined Brest from Huddersfield. Has he really? Um, That's... And I can tell you that oh my, my God. Huddersfield season ticket holder brother-in-law and his family will not shed a tear. Yeah, no, it didn't really work out for him, did it? I thought he would do all right there. But I, no. I, I did loads of um, player profiles on him for the Huddersfield um, um, and in the city uh, blog. Um, because, yeah, I thought he'd be brilliant because... Yeah, just didn't work, did it? Some, yeah. team, some players just don't work. But, you do yeah. well at Montpellier, you can probably do a job in, you know, less mm. starry environs of the Premier League. But no, Brest works. That's what we send everybody. Isn't that where Charbonnier is? Yeah. yeah. And, and they needed they need a goal scorer. He, they were one of the... Well, they have Charbonnier. Yeah, as I say, they need a goal scorer. Um, <laughs> they were one of the they were one of the fourteen clubs. Jazz and I um, sort of covered the line of they need goals in the last part of things, <laughs> or the two pods ago. But yeah, plenty, um, plenty to look forward to. Um, just before we go, again, each of you are going to keep a close eye on this weekend, other than the obvious one because that's the obvious one. Well, Montpellier versus Nice because I. Because Montpellier. I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> and just excluding Mets, because we know you'll be watching that game. Any of the fixtures no, jump I out? I think I'll be avoiding that one, to be honest. <laughs> Any um, others that you... Uh... No, not really, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> not, not even the Lorient Lons derby? I mean, that, that might uh, be worth... No, you know, th- well, I'll be rooting for you anyway. Thanks. No, Bordeaux-Lyon could be an interesting one. Yeah, they seem to often get results against Lyon. Yeah, um, and I'm still not entirely sure where either of those teams are at. Although Lyon looked good in the end against Dijon in their first match, but I don't think a Gasse managed team is the same as Dijon the other day. So I think this is going to be a tough one for Lyon. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Monaco non is probably the other one that I wouldn't mind keeping an eye just because I'm intrigued to see what happens with Monaco this year in terms of where they end up. Um, just sort of that project is fascinating. Some more moves for them. They've completed signing Kevin Bolland this week. So another one in the door. Um, right, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, thank you as ever for tuning in, for joining us. Much appreciated uh, for your ears. As always, if you've got any questions, queries, statements, uh, whatever it may be, drop them our way uh, on the Twitter account and um, we'll do our best to come to those. 
Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week uh, as usual. I'm not 100% sure what day yet, but we'll be back at some point next week and we'll discuss the weekend's action and uh, see how many players are left um, actually available for selection the following week. Hopefully it's more <laughs> than, uh, than, than this week. But um, wherever you are, uh, do stay safe. The world is still a bit of a crazy place, as we all know. Uh, try and enjoy your French football until next week. Uh, thank you to Phil and thank you to Jess for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. And we will speak to you very soon.